There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started with this episode of Benched with Bubba, I want to talk to you about Superdraft. Awesome new daily fantasy site. They got golf, football, baseball, the works, they'll have basketball. And it's not like your other daily sites. You play who you want. It's that simple. It's a multiplier-based format. No salary cap. So... Usually the more expensive the player, the less salary multiplier, like Justin Verlander's 1x, but you go and take a you know a, a 7K pitcher, he might be 1.8x or something like that. There's hitters, the works. It's a blast. I highly recommend checking it out. If you're new to Superdraft, use promo code Bubba, and you'll get a free $10 deposit when you deposit at least $10 or more. Go check out Superdraft in your app store. Use promo code Bubba. Join the fun. Join us in the Fantasy Sports DGEN Slack chat. We're talking about it all the time. It's a blast. Dire Works been crushing it in baseball. Football's been going through week one. Again, golf starting up this week with the Greenbrier. Come check it out. Super Draft, promo code Bubba. It is a ton of fun. Also, if you give a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. It would help the podcast out. Give myself one. Give Batflip Crazy one, as it is at a blast. And I mentioned Batflip Crazy because this is Bench with Bubba, episode 209. Bubba and the Batflip 8. everybody to Bubba and the Bat Flip, the eighth edition of Bubba and the Bat Flip. I'm talking more fantasy baseballs. We're three weeks away from the end of the baseball season. The fantasy baseball never stops over here on Bubba and the Bat Flip. You can check out myself on Twitter at BDentric and my co-host on this great endeavor. He's on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, how are we doing on this Monday night? We're doing pretty good. You know, we're, uh, did you say eight episodes in that we are now? Yeah, if, if my math is correct, it's eight episodes. Wow, yes. we're eight episodes. We're we're in our middle ages, you know. We're like, <laughs> um, uh, no, things are going pretty well. Uh, it's it's uh, it's good to not have Mike Fires in any leagues whatsoever. Um, man, that was brutal. I I put out like an empathetic tweet that was like, oh man, it sucks to be a Mike Fires owner. I'm sure, like, I don't have any shares, but one inning, nine runs. 
1K, no walks. It's not like he was walking guys on. They were just destroying him. And obviously, like, he's not the best pitcher in the world. But, you know, in the leagues that – in most of the leagues that I play in, they're either 12 teams or 15 teams. Most of the leagues are 15 teams. And if you're a 15-teamer and it's weekly leagues and you have a two-start week, even if it's the Astros and uh, at the Rangers, like, that's not a terrible week you know, in that deep of a league right now, like you're going after every two start uh, starter that breathes. And so I had a little empathy, but apparently uh, other folks are just kind of like, yeah, if you started him, it's your own problem. But I, I feel empathy for you, uh, Mike Fires owners. How about you? Baba? How do you, I, uh, how do you feel I, I, I do feel empathy, but at the same time, like I'm a fires fan. I wouldn't have started him this week. You, you throw Houston in the mix and the way they're hitting the ball. It's almost like going to Coors field these days. Yeah. Um, it, it, I get it if you need certain things, but if you have ratios, you know, are in jeopardy against Houston. I didn't say at Texas. Um, yeah. Texas team has been struggling to play, but in Arlington is always a, a dicey situation. So I get it. If people used it, I get the logic behind it this late in the year, but my, oh my, that was, um, you'd have to be really hurting for say some, strikeouts or hurting for wins and your ratios are okay and they still might not be okay after this now but um you didn't expect it to be this bad like you were thinking okay give me like five or six innings maybe four runs and like let's just get through it but um yeah this was disastrous did you see the home run jordan alvarez hit in the third deck oh i didn't i actually didn't see any of the highlights at all but was it just nuts oh man it's because there's only one spot there's the the video side in right field but then right by the foul pole, there's a third deck. Only one other player's ever hit it up there. It was ridiculous. It was absolutely mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, they scored 21 runs yesterday. They scored 15 tonight. It's uh, just been home run derby for the Astros. And I've been saying it for a long time. I know I'm not the only one. But uh, I think the Astros are just too darn good. Now that they're getting healthy, they still don't have Carlos Correa yet. They are mm-hmm. going to win the World Series. Like, I really would – when you have Cole, um, Verlander, Granke pitched great tonight. You put those three up there. It, de- it deepens the bullpen because those other starters can help stre- uh, stretch the, the game out that way. And then it's just offense for days. Like Kyle Tucker is contributing now. There's so many pieces on the bench. It's scary what the Astros are going to be able to do. Mm, yeah. But it's absolutely. Baseball, so you never know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that Verlander-Cole combo right now is just insane. So yeah. good luck to everybody well, facing those two. What was it? Verlander, like 14 Ks in his last start. And then Cole goes out and gets 15 yesterday. It's just, Oh like, yeah. My Cole goodness. has, Cole has 14 Ks, 14 Ks and 15 Ks in his last three starts. I mean, it's just yeah. absolutely crazy. So yeah, he's been big for my, uh, my TGFBI team. We'll, uh, we're going to start recapping part of the two early mocks. So we'll do the first three rounds this week. We'll kind of each week we'll just keep adding on by the end of the season or so we'll have the whole draft. But we be better to kind of focus on each group at a time instead of just going all in all at once and maybe not having it all focused in as much as we probably could. So Cole will go in tonight's conversation. Let's put it that way. He will be mm-hmm. gone, but will. Um, we'll talk about that. But before we get there, let's talk about some recent news and it's not going to be the same as it was earlier in the year. There's a few injuries. It's more just kind of letting people know that for some reason might not know you can probably drop this guy or beware because it's September. They might not go on the IL, but they're probably not playing anytime soon. Stuff along those lines. So it's not like super urgent breaking news. But, for instance, Javi Baez, he has a fracture on his wrist. He's unlikely to return in the month of September. That's a shame if you have Javi Baez. They called up one of their top prospects in Nico Horner. 
who is just a beast in the minor leagues. And people are hoping he get the call. He's had nowhere to play for the longest time. But uh, now Horner's up. Baez is gone. What's your thoughts on that, Toby? Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, I think it's a big blow for Baez owners. I'm actually really interested in where Javi Baez is going um, in the two early mocks. He's fallen to, to average draft position of 26.5. So back end of the second round in 15-team drafts. If I remember correctly, he was going kind of late first, early second um, in last year's drafts. And so I think it's interesting, you know, he has had not as good of a season as he had in 2018, uh, particularly in the stolen base realm. Uh, he hasn't been as successful on the bases. I think he's 11 for 18 this year after being 21 for 28 last year. But we know that the small sample sizes, uh, stolen base success rate can be fluky kind of year to year. And so he's still hitting for just as much power as he hit last year. The average is still solid. So he still looks like a really good player. And for me, more importantly, he's shown a couple years now where he's been kind of consistently this guy who's been able to put up these numbers when he plays. And so uh, I may have a little bit more interest than I had um, in him uh, uh, this upcoming year than I did last year just because of the, of the cost. But that doesn't matter for now. I think for Horner, uh, he hit 284, only three home runs, eight stolen bases, and about 300 plate appearances this year in double A. So the power hasn't really um, been there for him. Uh, the happy fun ball may change that. I mean, I'm sure he'll have more power than he showed in double A. He doesn't strike out a lot. Um, I mean, just ridiculously low strikeout rates in the minors. So the batting average could be decent. Um, I think the only question for me is whether, you know, where he, where is he going to bat in the lineup? Is it going to be an empty batting average? Um, will he be able to hit for power? And will that, you know, plate discipline that he's shown in a small sample in the minors, will that translate um, to the major league level, um, at least the, you know, the, the bat to ball skills? I mean, I think they will, um, but, you know, he hasn't had the best plate discipline, I think a 7.4% walk rate. Um, in double A this year. So I'm not overly excited, but um, crazier things have happened. What about you? What, how are you uh, looking at Horner? Yeah, it's not crazy to exciting. Like you said, it doesn't steal a ton, not a lot of power. It was interesting in, in um, the Arizona Fall League last year, he did hit 337 in 21 games there with uh, four doubles, four triples, and a homer. But as a whole, he hasn't really put it all together. He's had no more than six or seven home runs in a minor league season. But he's, he's hit for average pretty much every year. Like in my end of the season, like this year was in rookie ball and double A. He's hitting 292. That's his lowest combined season. He's been a 300 a better hitter every year. So like he reminds me of looking at his stat lines of like a right handed Joe Panic, where the power's not immense, but he gets on base. He can score runs. But uh, I think he's just there to fill the voids right now uh, with Addison Russell also in concussion protocol. So they really have no one else to play shortstop. He's a big-time prospect, but I think they're still kind of waiting for that power to develop as he is only um, – he's only 22, so he's still super young. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked he'll be back in AAA to start the year next year. He's not going to be, like, sticking around. He'll probably go to spring training camp. I wouldn't be running out to go get him if you have Fab left. Sure, if you need someone desperately for that, but I don't see him being a major impact right now. Okay. All right, let's go to the Oakland A's. This is a guy that could be – an impact. I'm not going to say a major impact, but could be an impact. We'll wait and see. Uh, Sean Benaya already came back for the A's. He pitched another gym on Sunday. 
in Texas. Now we get Jesus Lazardo um, coming up that gets the call. He's made four starts in AAA. His last start was just outstanding. He dealt, and over his four starts in AAA, 319 ERA, almost 10 Ks per nine. He's been very, very good. Uh, I know I drafted him in Barf League this year because we drafted him before he got hurt. He's a very, very uh, popular name that people wanted to use this year. He got hurt, but now he's back. And he should be able to help the A's one way or another. We just don't know to what magnitude just yet. Uh, what's your thoughts on Jesus Lazardo? Because I know they just want to get a big, big league innings. I just don't know what to what extent. What do you say? Yeah, I mean he's he's definitely of interest to me. Unfortunately, he's 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 long gone in all of my leagues. Um, but I think Lazardo is a guy who can come up and contribute uh, right away um, and hopefully reward. Well, actually, I shouldn't say hopefully because I don't own any shares of him. So maybe <laughs> I expect him to uh, to potentially contribute down the stretch. I mean, it's unclear whether he's going to come up. Like you mentioned, Manai has been pitching well, which has been a huge surprise to me. Um, but, you know, so it's unclear what, what role he's going to have. But the projections actually really like him. Uh, Steamer has him at a 355 ERA, a 119 whip, and almost 10 Ks per nine. I mean, that's awesome. He's been pitching great. Um, in triple a recently and they have the happy fun ball so he's been able to do well with that Um, i'm not sure when that projection was last updated but that's really really good for a rookie pitcher i think he's got everything that you want he's got that great defense in oakland he's got cavernous oakland coliseum so and he's also going up against a lot of al west teams down the down the stretch so as long as they're not uh, al west teams named the astros um, he should be in pretty good shape. Let's say they got at Texas, they got KC, then they got Texas again, then they got the Angels and the Mariners. So, you know, if run. he's able to get some starts or, you know, even follow an opener, um, I think there's definitely some value there. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I, I'm curious. It's like what I thought they should have done all along when they were looking to bring them up is let Puck or Lazardo let, let them go half-half, like one open for the other type deal. That's what they were doing back in Stockton when they were both in the minors. It would be like one game, Puck would throw an inning and let Lazardo go forward, and the next time through the rotation on the fifth day, Lazardo would go an inning and then Puck would go forward. That's how they do it, just kind of minimize their innings but still get their experience. I'd be cool with something like that. I know you probably want yeah. to start or get started or work more than once a week, but if it means giving some – because those are some good matchups you have there. I think you can sit – he'll get your strikeouts. He won't kill your ratios. have some win equity. Uh, it's not a bad situation and it'll get them ready for next year. Because next year, this A's team, Lazardo, Puck, Manaya, those three, and you start mixing and matching some other pieces there. We've been waiting to see it for a while. It could be pretty filthy, mm-hmm. pretty filthy stuff. Absolutely. It's great. Uh, here's a couple just kind of injuries to keep an eye on. Not supposed to be too severe. Mike Trout, he went and got the uh, Antonio Brown treatment on his feet. He had some nerve issues, so he had cryogenics on his uh, feet to kind of numb the nerves. That kind of confuses me. Like, it makes me wonder, does he have to have a bigger procedure this offseason if it's that kind of deal? So I want to keep an eye on that one. And then Max Kepler, I don't know about you. I know you're a Max Kepler owner like myself. I sat him for the first four days this week. I know he came back last time right away. But the fact this time he had an MRI, it came back clean. But to me, I feel like he's going to miss a game or two. I could be wrong, and it could suck and burn me. But uh, Kepler's out for a couple days with a shoulder issue. And um, Trout with a split issue. Uh, they're going to be back sooner than later, but just something for people to keep an eye on. If you're in leagues, you might not have them off and on for a while. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The Kepler, Kepler's been weird recently just because, and 
you know, it might've been the shoulder all along, but I feel like he's been removed from like two or three games early just for precautionary purposes. Like he just doesn't seem like he's right. And if, and like you mentioned, I do own him a lot of places. Um, he was one of my favorite guys coming into the season. And, it, you know, a lot of times I don't have a, I don't actually check up on how they're doing, but I feel like he's been struggling a lot recently. Like um, the power hasn't been at yeah, 234 in the second half. I mean, the power has been solid still, but, um, you know, 232 in August. So the power has been there, but he just has not um, been able to make the same quality of contact in terms of batting average that he made in the first half of the season. So, yeah, like you mentioned, Kepler is more of a more of a concern for me. I did not start him um, in, I think, any of the leagues where I own him unless I was forced to because I like, didn't have another outfielder or something. Um, and and I would be surprised if they pushed him. You know, I think for both Trout and Kepler, like Trout's issue, the latest note that I saw in fan graphs is that he's expected to be back at the earliest on Wednesday. So he could be back. But like you mentioned, like, you know, there's just not a lot to play for for either of these teams. The Angels are well out of contention. Uh, the Twins, you know, they are, I think, like six or five and a half games up, which doesn't sound like a ton, but with only 21 games left, that is a huge, um, huge lead. They're hemorrhaging for via injuries and suspensions, which we'll get to in a little bit. But, you know, still, I think they're going to be cautious with him until they need to put him in. So I agree, like, you know, kind of, not putting him in in in, in bi weekly change leagues this week or even weekly leagues this week. And then I think um, don't be afraid to drop him if he's not back in the lineup the next fab period because, you know, yes, he can provide some home runs and some power, but he just doesn't look, he just hasn't looked as good um, recently. I think one of the challenges for me as somebody who also owns a lot of Jake Cave uh, because of Kepler's injuries and because he's just been crushing the ball recently. Um, you know, he's also been injured. And so there's just, um, there's not like a, a real, there's not even a replacement within the team that I see as kind of the clear guy to take over Kepler's role. And so for that reason, it's, it's just a little bit of a mess from a fantasy perspective. Yep. Yep. Definitely no fun. I, I think most leagues, it's been the last couple of years playing in NFBC style formats, the biweekly roster moves. I don't think there's any better way to play. I really don't. Yeah. I'm not talking about daily but you still get the luxury if guys are hurt, you can kind of wait around and do stuff like that. I think it's the best way to play. It's just, it's crazy good. Definitely. Um, It's all about matchups, right? It's like you get to choose which series your guys play and which ones they don't. And you have to make decisions about, you know, lefty versus righty splits and platoons. I think it's a, it's a really strategic way to play. I agree. And strange. It changes the way that you do fab and all kinds of deals. Mm -hmm. I I think it's, it's a, it's pretty awesome. It adds a whole nother element the strategy of the game so big yeah. big fan of that uh let's go to seattle mariners two more guys get called up not really to me major impacts kind of like the nico horner deal they're high prospects you're gonna hear about them a lot kyle lewis outfield stud he hasn't really put it together in any real minor league year since his first couple of years in the in rookie ball and low a but um the last couple of years he's kind of been dinking and dunking around nothing crazy they guess they want to get his feet wet in the big see how he does before he goes to a the spring training this next year. And then pitcher Justin Dunn, one of the top uh, pieces they got out, outside of obviously Jarrett Kalinick from the Mets. He was the, the Dunn's the pitcher that they were pretty pumped on getting. I think he was a first round pick last year. Kalinick was this year. Dunn was last year. So those two guys will be coming up with the Mariners. But for me, it's nothing major. What about you? 
Yeah, uh, we have some breaking news, Bubba. Uh oh. Nico Horner triple to left. Oh, Nick Castellanos and Victor Caratini score. Two RBIs so already for Nico Horner. So um, two or three hits now. He scored a yeah, couple two times. hits. Look at that. Two hits and a triple. My God. I was totally wrong. I'd like to I'd like to change my analysis <laughs> from earlier. This isn't recency bias, it's new information. Um yeah, I mean on the Mariners call-ups, uh <laughs> he just went in uh somebody just drafted him in two early mocks. No, Are you kidding. serious? Um, no, I'm just I was just kidding. I, oh, I no, had like it, a wouldn't joke. Surpri- it wouldn't have surprised me. I was like, oh my goodness. I, I had a joke post where I uh where I said that I had selected Kyle Tucker because he just hit a home run and I'd been waiting so long for him to contribute that I just, you know, uh, really wanted to get him. It wasn't really that funny of a post, but I thought it was amusing. Um, But Kyle Tucker has been pretty good. And of course he sits today Uh, back to the Mariners, uh, Kyle Lewis and Justin Dunn. Yeah. For Lewis, I think your analysis is, you know, spot on. I think this is an opportunity to kind of maybe build up his confidence a little bit, get him acclimated, uh, to, you know, making some connections at the big league level in anticipation for, you know, next year. Uh, he hasn't been that good at double A, 263, a little bit of pop, but he has struck out 30% of the time, which doesn't bode well for what that would translate to at the major league level. So like you mentioned, I think it's much more about kind of giving him a little bit of experience um, at the big league level. And maybe he he'll, um, maybe they want to get him with, kind of the major league uh, hitting staff um, or something of that nature. I don't expect him to get a lot of playing time. Dunn is a very interesting piece, I think, long-term. This year I have questions about how he's going to be used and whether this isn't something similar for the Mariners. Um, I don't think he gets starts. I think he already has over 130 innings this year. Uh, I believe he used to be a reliever. If, am I am I making that up? Yeah, I, I think he'll be working out of the bullpen for the most part this, the rest of the year would be my guess. Yeah, and so with that with that being said, you know, they're not going to put him in high leverage situations really um because um you know, they don't want the, you know for for salary purposes and all those good reasons, I just don't see them putting him in high leverage situations. And for that reason like he could be good in short stretches like if he follows an opener or something like that, you know, he's got uh, nearly 11 Ks per 9 in double A. Um, you know, a really nice K minus walk rate, 21.5%. So he's a really good player. He's a legit prospect. I just don't see him being used enough to be fantasy relevant this year. Yeah, no, I'm hundred percent with you there. Just kind of getting these guys for the, all the young kids come up for the Mariners and they start trying to make it happen with all the deals they've made. Um, a couple other injury guys from one of the, the trout and Kepler deal, Mike Moustakis, was reports came out he was day to day and playing off and on for a while now he's been out for a few games in a row and reports are coming out that it, he hurts every time he takes a swing i'm not a doctor i don't stay at a holiday Inn express but that's not good so it's really hard to uh hit with power when when you when you hurt every time you swing and then the other one is everyone was all excited to get the a's outfielder to ramon Laureano back which was awesome until we realized he's still kind of half banged up and uh, the coaching staff is already saying he'll only play like two out of every three games. He's not going to be an everyday player. So those two guys, if you're trying to slot them in and expect some playing time, it's massively up in the air. Now, at least Loriano will play a little bit. Moustakis, we don't know when he's going to play. And, and the Brewers need him, but I don't know when they're going to get him. Yeah. Um, Moustakis is crushing me in a couple leagues. 
because like you mentioned, yeah, he was, I think he pinch hit or pinch ran or did something where he played a little bit. So you were anticipating that he was going to come back. The latest note that I saw, I think from two days ago was that he could, yeah, he couldn't pick up a bat. So if you can't pick up a bat, you know, not only are you probably not that close to playing, but you're probably also not that close to being super useful when you play. And um, I can't remember how far are the Brewers out of the playoff, uh, out of the wild card. There's still a decent amount out of it, right? Uh, um, I got it right here. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, they're only one it. and a half games back. Hmm. Yeah, they're, they're right in it. They're still in yeah. it. Yeah, so they're right, they're right in it. So I take it back. I mean, they do. They are going to want to have him play, but you know, I just think that the signs are there that this is a longer term thing. And if the IL was a thing right now, then he would be on it. And so I think I'm fine, you know, in the next uh, fab period dropping him just because of the questions about whether he plays and then how well he plays when he does. Um, And then I think with Laureano, I think the challenge with, um, with him right now is it sounds like he's going to play every once in a while. And so I think in weekly leagues, that really diminishes his value a lot. I think in daily leagues, he can hold on to some of that. But if he's only going to be playing, you know, you know, one out of every two games because of the injury um, and because they don't want him, you know, out in the outfield, then that's going to pose some really challenging dilemmas for weekly and biweekly uh, leagues um, who own Moriano. So I would just watch, see what they do the rest of the week and then make a decision next fab period based on um, – you know, based on, based on what the playing time looks like it's going to be. Yeah, no, that's pretty much what it's all about. Michael Pineda, 60-game suspension. This sucks because I was excited to have him back <laughs> when he got hurt. He showed signs of being Pineda, really effective, racking up strikeouts, giving up a few home runs. He was doing the Pineda thing. I was all for it. Now he gets busted for PEDs. He gets caught taking – a blood pressure medication that is used for masking PEDs. So that's a new one because usually it's like a male fertility thing or something. So at <laughs> least he's trying to be a little different and uh, I guess keep his masculinity. I don't know how they look at it these days. But um, blood pressure medication, that's a new one for me. He's going to be out 60 games. He'll come back eventually early next season. But to me, I'm not – Pineda's Pineda to me. Once he's pitching, he's pitching. He's got busted for pine tar. He uses everything. To, to get an edge. We know this by now, but uh, it won't affect my drafting of him next year. You'll probably get him at a discount because he won't uh, be starting right away, but I, I still like him going to next year. It just sucks. We won't see him the rest of this year or in the postseason. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is a bummer. I mean, it's interesting because it sounds like there was some extenuating circumstances because they did drop um, his suspension from the normal 80 days to the 60 days. And like you mentioned, our um, I was Justin, uh, our buddy Justin Mason, who actually I saw pointed out that uh, whatever the drug is 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 one of the most frequently used high blood pressure medications. So you know if that's what it was, then you know it's a bummer. But you're a professional athlete; you need to be looking at what's going into your body and what's on the banned substance list. So I don't, I don't, you know, I have a little bit of sympathy if it was something related to blood pressure, but. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, it could be a buying opportunity. He's likely to to drop a lot in drafts. Um, I imagine he'll go pretty pretty deep in drafts, have, missing the first month or so of the season. But the Twins are good. The AL Central will be a little bit better next year, but probably um, still uh, not one of the best divisions. And so 
I think, you know, he could be, he could be worth a little something there. Um, and then for the twins, like we've talked about with Kepler, like the injuries and the suspensions are just building up and they're going to go into the playoffs, assuming that they make the playoffs, which I think is, is a fairly done deal at this point in time. Uh, you know, they're going in, they're going to win the division potentially, and then go into a series, uh, against, um, you know, the Yankees or the Astros with Jose Barrios and Jake, Jake Odorizzi as their one, two. Um, and, and that just, and nothing after that. So that's, that's tough. It's tough for them because they've been so good this year. They've been such a good story and it seems to be going South pretty quickly here. Yeah, it sucks. I was big on the twins coming into the year and they're losing all the weapons that I loved for them to have. And, uh, it's going to be real rough. Like you said, Gibson's uh, hurt and all these, they just can't keep anybody healthy offensively or pitching. And it, it's really killing chances here. And it'd be great if Barrios could find that ace form going into the postseason. But I, I, I'd love to know what's going on there. That's a, a deeper dive that's out of my realms. I'm not a pitching guru, but I'd love to see Spore and Pollock take a, a fireside chat and explain to me what the heck happened to Jose Barrios. That's mm-hmm. a that's a big fan, a big one I'd like to hear. But uh, maybe that's an offseason deal for them. Hmm. Tampa Tampa Bay Rays, Tyler Glasnow, a guy that was carrying fantasy teams earlier in the year. Got hurt with a forearm and an injury. Was out for quite some time. He only made two, four, eight starts before he got hurt, but he was still great in those eight starts. Came back, pitched two innings, two innings, one hit, two earned, two walks, five strikeouts in those two innings. He had one home run. Uh, it's going to be kind of that little deal, two to three inning opener type stuff to kind of just get him, get him some more innings, get that arm built up to go into the post to the off season, not the postseason. Well, maybe they might sneak in. We'll see, but. Um, they're trying to get him ready just in case they get into the postseason. But uh, what's your thoughts on Glasnow? Like, if, if I own him, I'm excited. If he's available on the waiver wire, are you trying to get him? What's your thought on Glasnow? Yeah, you know, I think it's more uh, – uh, he's got more value from, like, a real baseball perspective. Like you mentioned, you know, that's what the Rays' focus is. Uh, he looked good in those two innings, 41 pitches. I think he had 15 CSW. Um, which is really, really good for just 41 pitches. He struck out five. Um, but like you said, like they're working to get him ready for the playoffs. Uh, the Rays are in pretty good shape, I think. It's really, I, you know, I, I'm not a Rays fan by any stretch of the imagination. Like I don't like, you know, uh, I root for them from like a baseball standpoint, just because I think that they've done a great job of constructing their roster and drafting and uh, all of that stuff, but it's just a lot of fun when they're doing uh, when they're doing well, and they seem to be playing really good baseball right now. In terms of the fantasy impact, I still have major questions, just because you know, let's say he goes two innings this start, forty-one pitches, he works up to 50, 60 pitches in his next outing. You know, he's still not eligible for the win. The K's are pretty enticing, but you know, does he continue in this kind of opener role? Are they going to stretch him out to five innings before the playoffs start? Um, you know, especially if, if, you know, they're one and a half games up on the wild card right now. So, you know, again, like um, not uh, that many, actually, I think they're two and a half games in the wild card right now. So they could close it out by that last week of the season. And if they do that, you know, I just don't see him necessarily contributing um, a ton from a fantasy perspective. And I think he's probably on most rosters by now. So if you have him, you know, the decision is whether you, you know, whether you start him and, and not qualify for the win, probably in the, his next maybe one or two starts. 
Um, so it's, it poses additional dilemmas. I'm not sure there's going to be a ton of value there, but it's nice to see him back and, and contributing. You know, he was such a great story early in the year. No, not about it. Uh, the Indians, they got Carrasco back, which has been an absolutely amazing story to see, but still pretty much just a bullpen type deal. They were hoping over a month or so ago that they'd have Corey Cooper, Kluber back by now. But every time he gets going, there's a setback. And now the reports are coming out. There's a very good chance we don't see him the rest of the year. That includes the postseason. So uh, if you have Corey Kluber, you can officially, if you didn't already, you should have. You should have dropped him already. But if you didn't, you can officially let him go. And it'll be really interesting to see where this affects him going into the next season. We'll talk about it in the two early mocks. But I know he was out there for quite some time, way longer than usual. I can't remember where he went now, but he was uh, out there for a long time in the draft we were doing. But yeah, Corey Kluber, likely not back for the rest of the season. Yeah, it is going to be really interesting to see what he does. He's going at 83.7 right now, ADP in the two early mock drafts. Um, so it's a really interesting uh, dynamic, I think, for next year's draft. Obviously, it sucks if you drafted him this year because not only did you not get him pitching for most of the season, but he was terrible uh, when he was pitching earlier on in the year. Um, we've all kind of forgotten about that by now, but uh, I think it's it's interesting where he's at. Uh, part of me feels like, oh, wow, like there's a value opportunity here because he's going so late. But the real part of me, the actual like uh, me, me, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> uh, is not a fan of Kluber moving forward. I wasn't a fan of Kluber heading into this year. I just think his biggest weakness is is batted ball issues he gives up a really good quality batted ball his fastball is getting worse it's getting it's losing some velocity and so I think we saw early on in the season what the happy fun ball plus Corey Kluber's fastball uh, results in and I don't see that changing too dramatically next year I'll change that opinion if I see a, a, his velocity back up next year in spring training maybe maybe but I think even even in that kind of 80-ish range of the draft, I still don't think I'm that um, interested in uh, Kluber. You know, Glass now is going right after him. Um, you know, Darvish, even Bumgarner, uh, Sonny Gray, you know, Robbie Ray's looked really good when he's been healthy, um, you know, since the beginning of the season. Hinjin Ryu. You know, there's a lot of guys that I'd rather take a chance on that are going in a similar area. But, you know, so it is going to be really interesting to see what happens, though, next year. But for this year, like you mentioned, you know, you can just release all your your bad Corey Kluber feelings. Yeah, no, I, I haven't been a Corey Kluber guy the last few years. I didn't own him this year. Like I said, I kept watching him just fall, fall, fall. When two early mocks took many guys. Other than Corey Kluber, usually bats when he was still sitting there. Mm -hmm. So uh, he'd be gone, and I don't know if I'm going to own any. Well, I will own some Indians. Bieber, all of a sudden, I'm a believer. Uh, please oh, acquisition to see what happens there. So th there'll be options there. I, I took Cookie. Uh, it'll be next week or the week after we talk about it. I took Crasco in the eighth round after like pick mm. like 103 or something. So I'll nice. take the gamble there because I figure he'll be back in the rotation come next season. Um so yeah, and, and I think that's a I would much rather have that's a great comp too. Like I'd much rather have Carrasco than Kluber next year. Yeah, get him get him a lot later than he's going to go and go from there. So we'll see. It'll be fun to see where it goes. But uh, speaking of just pitchers that aren't putting it together, Craig Kimbrell held out forever. Gets paid by the Chicago Cubs. 
has not been good, really. He's had a couple – he's been, like, mediocre. It's been off and on coin flip with Craig Kimbrell. But it's been not where they wanted it to be, not the Kimbrell, the dominant Kimbrell of old. Now he's on the IL with right shoulder inflammation. They're hoping it's not bad. The MRI came back, you know, clean. Everything's all good. But his velocity's been down. He's just not as dominant as he once was. So he's on the IL. He's coming back soon. But what's your thoughts on this uh, Kimbrell slash Chicago bullpen situation for a team that is in the wild card right now? Yeah, I mean, uh, as somebody (laughs) – it's been a, it's been terrible. Um, I actually drafted him in one of my main events at, at around pick one fifteen. I think, you know, it was towards the end of the, of the draft season and he had fallen pretty far. And I thought I was all smart that I'd gotten some kind of bargain that he was going to sign. I held on to him for the whole time. And, you know, he's gotten, like you said, like he's gotten some saves, but he hasn't pitched that well. And it's just a good reminder. Like, just, uh, you know, him and Andrew Benintendi were guys that I couldn't stand, I, or not I couldn't stand, but I didn't like them, but they fell to me, quote unquote, fell, so that they were values, and I went with them, and those are my biggest my biggest regrets. So, Kate, Craig King, Kimbrell, you are one of my biggest regrets. Um, uh, he, yeah, he hasn't been that good. I think Rowan Wick is interesting in the Cubs bullpen. Uh, 20% K minus walk rate in the second half. His curveball is a really good pitch, 21.6% swinging strike rate. Uh, he's increased his usage of that pitch over the last five games to about 30%. So it can be pretty devastating. So if I was looking for one arm in that bullpen, I would be looking at Wick um, at this point. But, you know, every time that Kimbrel hasn't been there, you know, since uh, Strope got injured initially, it's been kind of that bullpen by committee and, um, you know, so at this point in the season, like it's hard to go after a guy, you know, knowing that you probably have, you know, what, like six or seven save opportunities coming in the next three weeks. And if your guy's only going to get half of those, uh, it's just really hard to kind of speculate on, on an unclear closer situation at this point in the season. So I'm not really targeting it at all, but if I was going after one guy, it would be Wick. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. It's, uh, Ugly situations, how a lot of these are right now. It's very, right. very tough to make. Like, even the, the Braves, Melanson had it for a while, then Green gets a save, then Melanson gets the next save. So have fun with all these situations down the end. And, yeah, it's it's a mess. It's going to be a mess for the next few years, I have a feeling. That's mm-hmm. the way the world is going in the bullpen. All right, let's, we've been mentioning the two early mocks, TGFBI, Justin Mason doing this for, I believe, the third year now that we've both been in it for. And we were in the same league together, which was really Uh-oh. cool. It makes, makes this a lot easier to uh, kind of discuss instead of going back and <laughs> forth. I, I, do I, would, I really want to talk some trash about your picks, Bubba. Yeah, my team that I already know this will be the best team I draft all of next season will be in this <laughs> draft. Like, yeah. I'll save it and play, we should play it out for fun. Just watch how miserable it is. Um, but I'll do the due diligence because I always love when – you know, there's there's major experts that are in leagues like this, and they mention their friends, but not everybody else. So I'll mm-hmm. mention them all. We got Raging Randall, Chris Welsh, Justin Mason, John Hegland, Donnie Miller, Brent Chester, Alex Chamberlain, Colin Weatherwax, Brandon Camerman, Batflip Crazy. I think I know that guy. Uh, that Greg guy Blunt, is that skeptical. Guy. He's he's suspect. First pick was Justin Verlander, guys. Oh, man. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Seven year old starting pitcher. Yeah, who does that? Like really, junk. who does that? But uh, Greg Blankenship, Smata, myself, uh, Stevie Yo, and Matt Thompson. Really, really great group of drafters, as mm-hmm. you'd expect all of these to be. But, like, we got a loaded 
<laughs> like if this was our TGFBI league, I'd be scared. I'm just gonna put it that way. I'd be I'd be like, oh boy, this is not good. But that's how all these leagues are when you really break it all down. Um, we'll go round by round. I'll read off the first round, and then I'll kind of ask some questions. You can go ask me questions, whatever. We'll spend about a half hour or so on these three rounds, just kind of going back and forth on our thoughts on maybe you guys went early, maybe they didn't. Um, just kind of fun conversations on these deals because it, it's really it's really cool from the early looks that it's like last year's draft, Toby, everyone was talking about how deep it was. Like the first three rounds are really solid. Like we're going four, almost five rounds where it's just pitch or hitting for days. Pitching's going early. It's been really cool to kind of see how it works. It'll be really interesting to see. Like, I think we need to do another draft in like January and another mm-hmm. draft in like, like or almost each month, like December, January, February, and see how it keeps changing because these are like thoughts right now, but where are these thoughts going to be as we start doing like our positional rankings and start doing all those things and really getting a base for where we want to go into drafts next year. I know for a fact, you know, for a fact, what we see now will be close, but there will be some variation that can be very interesting when all is said and done, because eventually you start listening to the masses and you start changing your mind as much as you shouldn't. Eventually ask people what Clay Link did, Jose Ramirez people. It happened. It really did. So Little things like that will take place. You know, Toby will probably have 70 awesome tweets about some X stats that will make me go, oh, no, I don't want that guy. But um, that, that's yeah. how it's going to go. Yeah, I'll have 70 tweets that you're like, oh, man, that's a good tweet. And then I'll have like 1,500 no. that are just no, uh, no. that are just that are just tossed away. Things like, oh, don't go after Shane Bieber. It's a trap. Oh, um, hey, I think I think one of our fun episodes should be when the season's over. Like, we'll do what no one else does. We will do oh, just an episode on all the players we got wrong. Oh, that would be awesome. One, we won't talk about one player we got right. We'll be the complete opposite of Totally. Let's do that. Okay. Sign me up. I've Let's been the first to stand on the mountain and say, I did, I, I, I've been the first to say I was wrong on Cody Bellinger. I've said that since, like, the end of April. <laughs> like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll confess all of these. So, I think totally. that'll be a fun show. Yeah, um, I think that'll be fun. not learning when you're playing. get on the calendar. Yeah, if you're not learning fantasy baseball, then you're playing it wrong. That's you got to learn from your mistakes because that's like when you say there's 70 good ones with a thousand bad ones. Well, you have to like a thousand bad ones isn't even that bad if you think about it because you got to keep trying to find the edge. And there's gonna be a lot of look at every great sign. Look at Einstein. Guess how many wrong things he had probably. So that's just the way of the world. But um, that's another rabbit hole. Let's go to the first round. A, b- a black Acuna. hole, if you will. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> that was good well done thank you um, thank you we, we got acuna trout yellick bellinger Betts, freeman went six to brent chester cole was the first pitcher off the board at seven to our buddy alex chamberlain then lindor at eight i like that pitch a lot for weather wax i think that, that just shows how deep this is uh scherzer mm-hmm. went nine you took verlander at 10 story 11 that was i was wondering where story would go in this mix smada took bueller four pitchers in the first round I took Trey Turner at 13, Arenado went at 15, and Matt Thompson ran it out the first round with Bregman. So we had uh, four pitchers in the first round, which is way different than the norm, but it kind of shows where we are. Before we go too deep into this, Toby, let's have the discussion that everyone's been having. So Acuna went number one to Rage and Randall. Trout went two. You have Yellick, you have Bellinger. You can even throw Betts and the others in there. But mainly, the main debate everyone's having is the top four. For mm. me... I like Acuna over Trout. I've said it before. I value those stolen bases so much. 
If you take trout, you can't go wrong. I will never judge anyone for taking trout over Acuna. Never, ever. It's the best baseball player that might ever have played by the time we're all said and mm-hmm. done. We're, we're fortunate to see this. So if you want to take trout, no problem at all. But when you can get a potential 30, 30, 40, 40 guy in this era in baseball and Ronald Acuna, who's still, I think, like, what, 22 or 23 years old? Like, he's stupid young. He's only going to keep getting better. I get it. Then Yellick Bellinger, if I had to go with those four, I'd put him in the order they went in our draft. I'd actually have a couple guys maybe mixed in there. It's really tight. After like Yellick Bellinger, Betts, Freeman, and even Lindor, I get kind of mixed in there. But for me, at Cunha and Trout, that's a clear one-two for me. What's your take on like the top four? It's the big conversation out there these days. Yeah, I, you know, I haven't dug deep enough to know for sure what I'd end up with. Um, but if I were to draft right now, if I were, if I would have had one of the first three, three picks, I probably would go Yelich, Acuna, Trout would probably be what I I would go go to. Um, the reason why I think that Yelich, you know, he's kind of proved this year that last year wasn't a fluke. And in fact, like not just that last year wasn't a fluke, but that, um, that there's the, you know, that the power is there, right? The power is legit. Um, it's, a you know, his ground ball rate is down for the second consecutive year. His fly ball rate isn't even that high, but he just absolutely crushes the ball. Um, and, and the batting average, 326, 330. He's got two consecutive years now of that elite batting average production. He's got 52 stolen bases over the last two years. So you talk about 30, 30. I mean, he's not quite there, but he's got, I mean, he is there. He is there this year, 44 home runs, yep, 30 crazy. stolen bases. So for me, the, the kind of, uh, the, the, the breaker is, I think Acuna and Yelich are the top two because I think the speed for Trout, I don't know if it's coming back. And as much as I love him fitting, hitting 50 home runs, um, you know, this year, I think his batting average is under 300 as well. And again, like, you know, batting average year to year is, you know, it, there's some variance there. Um, you know, 291 this year, 312 last year, 306 the year before that, 315. Uh, but I, I, if I, if you were to say, who do you think is going to have a higher batting average next year, Mike Trout or Christian Yelich, I would go with Christian Yelich. And so um, if you ask me who would have more stolen bases, Christian Yelich or Mike Trout, um, I would say, Christian Yelich. Um, even for the home runs, it's close enough where that's that's you know that's not going to break the tie for me. I'm looking for batting average and for stolen bases at the top of the draft. And the two elite guys when it comes to that, I mean, there's more elite guys, but the two guys that I really want are uh, Cunha or Yelich. And I think it's Yelich, Acuna, and then Trout for me in that order. I like that. I like that because there's no argument you can really make there from your logic. It makes total sense to me. It kind of the reason I like Acuna over Trout. You made your argument why you like Yellick over both, and makes valid sense to me. Um, with those three, when you do NFBC KDS again, by the time you draft next year, this all could change. It's just if you had the draft tomorrow, if you did KDS, do you want that first pick, or you go with saying I'll take the third or with whatever falls to me that I get that wraparound pick sooner. Which yeah. of the top three do you want? That's a, it's a great question. I think I probably take two or three um, because I do like I do like having – I'm going to like having that starting pitcher there. 
um, earlier on before the turn. I think there's a high likelihood that the player who has the first pick, regardless of who they choose, assuming it's a hitter, which I think is a good assumption to make, I would would I think there's going to be quite a few people who go pitcher pitcher there, and so I don't want to be um, I want to ha- I want to get in front of that, and I want to be able to have my pick of those pitchers, and I don't think there's enough difference um, between Acuna and Yelich. Yelich is obviously older, so maybe the curve I mean the curve's headed up, but maybe it's not headed as up as it is with Acuna, and he's just an incredible talent as well. So I'm not sad. By getting him, so I might I might do second or third, um, like maybe two, three, then one, um, and then I want the back end of the draft. I think I'd, I'd kind of do like maybe uh, 15, 14, 13, somewhere in there because I think just the guys that fall to you at that position. I actually love what you did in this draft. Um, if I remember correctly, correctly, you went Trey Turner and then Jose Ramirez, right? I was very excited by that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was very those happy were with that. those were both guys I was hoping would fall. Um, I think my, one of my main takeaways from this draft is that guy, people were really smart. Like, um, and by that, I mean, people <laughs> agree with, agree with what I would do. Um, that sounds terrible, but like, <laughs> I was literally like, I was like, Oh, I really hope Trey Turner or Jose Ramirez falls. They've had kind of quote unquote disappointing seasons, I think in a lot of people's minds, but no, like you picked up both of them really quickly. And then if you look at the ADP for all of the mock drafts, I think there's six of them so far. You know, they're going 14 and they're the 14th and 15th players off the board right now, right? So, yeah, they've fallen a little bit from last year, but not nearly as much as maybe you would have hoped uh, that recency bias would have impacted um, them. Uh, and so, you know, that's that that to me is is a bad sign that there's going to be any value <laughs> out there, right? Like Mookie Betts going number four overall in our I think he went four in our draft four or five I think he, he went, went five, five in our draft. Yeah, five in ours yeah yeah he went five in our draft but four in terms of ADP across the overall. six drafts like I was like oh maybe Mookie will fall to seven you know and it may be that the starting pitchers <laughs> move up a little bit as we get closer to drafts especially like in the NFBC format that'll undoubtedly happen especially with the depth of hitting that happens but you know, for right now, it doesn't seem like any of the, the kind of quote unquote off seasons have really impacted the true value that people place on them, which I think is 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 smart. Yeah, the next four bats that went off the board, it was Bellinger, Betts, Freeman, Lindor. Freeman went six overall, and that was like by far the most. That was Brant Chester that took him. And Brant's a very, very good player. I believe he's in the Champions League with you this season. Mm-hmm. Um when you look at Freddie Freeman, though, his ADP is a little, like, it's around 11 and a half, 12. Everywhere else outside of our league is going 12, 12, 15th, 11, 13th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Brant went early. He got his guy. Freeman's a beast. I'm not going to argue anything there. Uh, I believe Brant took Jose Ramirez first in a, your guys' league, or uh, might have been someone else. But uh, you got Bellinger, Betts, Freeman, Lindor. For me, the reason why I want to group these four together is the next four bats. We'll do the pitching next. But I like Lindor. I would I'd be debating having him and Mookie four or five either or, just because well Lindor even because he I think there's still more speed to be had there. Mm-hmm. This year is kind of a comeback from the ankle injury year. The power's there, but when you look at like a Bellinger, Betts, Freeman, Lindor, how do you go about those four? It doesn't have to be like a a, a dirty like professional rankings here, but just kind of give you a rough idea on Bellinger, Betts, Freeman, and Lindor. 
Um, Bellinger bets Freeman and Lindor. I think Freeman is at the back end of that for me solely because of what I mentioned. I mean, Freddie Freeman is having a great year. He is an exceptional hitter. He's an exceptionally consistent hitter. Um, but I think the stolen bases aren't there for me. You know, he's hitting 299 this year. That's very, very good. But, um, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't stand out enough for me to, kind of not pay attention to the stolen bases, if you will. Um, it doesn't help me out enough there. Um, and so uh, for that reason, I would I would have him at the back of that. Um, I think um, for Mookie and Lindor, uh, that is a tough one. Um, I feel like I probably still go Mookie. Um, I think as long as he's still on the Red Sox, I just think the offense is really, really good. Um, but um, yeah, I'd probably go Mookie. I'd probably go Lindor after that. I think Bellinger is probably before Freeman uh, for me because of the speed. I mean, again, the speed isn't that high. I also think Bellinger is one of these cases where the StatCast data supports everything that he's done. But would I be surprised if we looked back and this was the best season that Cody Bellinger yep. ever had? Uh, not necessarily. Um, and again, it's not a criticism of um, uh, you know him at all. Like one of the things I look at, like his overall contact rate is at seventy eight percent, which is slightly better than league average. His uh, in zone contact rate is actually below league average, but his K rate is at sixteen percent. So that that's K rate seems like a little bit of an anomaly to me, um, and that's what's what's pushing up his batting average. If you look at him, I can't remember who had the tweet. Oh, it was Brian Slack, our good friend Brian Slack, was like, you know, since May first, here's what Bellinger's line is in the second half. Bellinger's hitting two fifty one. You know, so, uh, you know, there's no reason I just, I, I just am hesitant. I probably won't own any Bellinger next year just because I don't see the next level that he can take. You know, he wrote a 398 and a 333 BABIP in those first two months to really get that batting average going. And that's not to say that it won't, uh, remain really good, but the K rate is up every subsequent month, um, you know, at least full month. And so I just see some regression there just out of uh, necessity or just reasonableness for Bellinger. And so I think for that reason, I probably have him behind Lindor because I think Lindor steals a lot more bases. Um, When all is said and done, like Lindor, his rate, his pace right now for plate appearances is right on, if not above, let's see. Yeah, it's 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 well above what it was last year, right? He's got 21 stolen bases and almost 200 less plate appearances than he had last year. Um, everything else is in line. His batting average is actually up. Like there's nothing that points to him going down. So I actually think Lindor, you know, is, is a really solid guy right there. I mean, God, the top six picks are just, uh, all of the top picks are just so good. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the Bellinger deal because that's kind of the only saving grace of getting him wrong is the second half's been more of kind of what I thought he'd be most of the season. He has got out so fast. It's made a great year. But, yeah, I looked at I pulled up Brian Slack's tweet from about six days ago. He compared Bellinger and Devers since May 1st. Uh, Bellinger's hitting 275, Devers 327. Bellinger has 30 homers, Devers 28. 
Bellinger has 74 runs. Devers, 98. Bellinger has 66 RBIs. You think a lot more. Devers has 96. Bellinger, six stolen bases. Devers, four. Devers is going pick 19 and around 19 or 20, where Bellinger is going around pick five. So just little things like that. I, I think Bellinger is going to go high, higher than I want. I'd rather have Lindor. I'd rather have Betts uh, before him for sure. So be interesting to see how that plays out next season. All right, we said four pitchers went off the board in the first round. Garrett Cole went to Alex Chamberlain at seven. Brandon Camerman took Max Scherzer at nine. You took Justin Verlander at 10. And Walker Bueller went to Smata at 12. If you had to take, rank these four guys, A, would you were you surprised that four guys went in the first round? B, is this the order you'd have them in? Um, I'm not surprised that four pitchers went in the first round because this is a smart group of people we're drafting with right here. Um, uh, I, um, I don't have, I, I, I haven't figured out yet how you look at what our order of draft was. So I'm just looking at, um, uh, in our particular draft, how do you do that in the draft chat? This is like a behind the scenes look at the Uh, podcast, you know, if you have, if you have the ADP page up, you can hit leagues and teams tab right next to it and go to select league, league one, and our thing will be up. Oh, okay. From Smata's thing. Yeah. Leagues and teams. Wow. All right. And then this just is, do league one and it shows ours. This is, this is, a, this is, this has been one of the biggest breakthroughs in my life. <laughs> Cause now I just toggle um, back right. and forth. Okay. Now, now we're good. Now we're good. I apologize to folks who are listening on that. That is how uh, things operate. Bubba keeps me in line. Um, <laughs> So, okay. So for me, uh, no, I would not draft draft Max Scherzer ahead of Justin Berlander. I think Garrett Cole is the number one pitcher. I would probably, if I was drafting, I would probably take Garrett Cole number four overall, uh, depending on where he lands, right? Like depending on where he lands. That's a big if, yes. It really is. I mean, if he lands in New York with the Yankees, I mean, yeah, you know, the wind should be great, but he's a fly ball pitcher. And, and we always think of Houston as like a great home run park because of the Crawford boxes, but it plays um, neutral or worse um, overall uh, in terms of like park factors and then for home runs even as well. And so I would be worried about Garrett Cole signing in a place that does give up a lot of home runs. I, I mean, obviously he is still probably the number one pitcher for me. Um, if he were to sign for like the Yankees, um, I would probably, I, I might swap him and Verlander. I know that that sounds crazy. I mean, Cole has just been absolutely insane, but you know, there's a huge difference in terms of the offensive quality in the AL East. There's a big park factor just from a home run perspective um, for Cole. I'd have to dig a little bit deeper, but for right now, Cole is my number one and I would probably draft him after the top three, just because I do think that, um, you know, if he signs in a good, in a good situation, I think that he, um, I think he's amazing. Like I just think what he's been doing this year has been incredible and Verlander has been better overall. I think Verlander should win the Cy Young based on the numbers, but I think what Cole has done since his initial struggles this year, and I put, you know, I say struggles kind of like, you know, for Cole, but I think Cole has just been absolutely, um, you know, uh, unhittable recently like nearly unhittable i guess verlander has been unhittable but that's a bad example but um yeah i think uh cole would be my number one justin verlander would be my number two 
Uh, Jacob deGrom would probably be my number three. I would probably have Scherzer as four. Again, like Scherzer has pitched uh, incredibly well this year when healthy. This is the second consecutive year that he's had an IL stint, whereas Verlander has not. Um, and so I just have to dive into things like the like velocity and, and things of that nature. But I think Verlander, the, the situation is better, and so that bumps him ahead of Scherzer. I think DeGrom has quietly done just an incredible job today. I think he had, what, 13 Ks in seven innings, three hits, one earned run. He's been everything that's been advertised. Um, and he and he has like a decent BABIP and, and LOB and, and strand rate against him. So, you know, I'd probably go Cole, Verlander, DeGrom, Scherzer. Um, I think Bueller's probably the pick after that. I think where I may be a little bit different than folks is I think Mike Clevenger I'm going to have pretty high up there. I think okay, wait a minute, outside wait a minute, of the injury. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. What's so that? so I want to I just want to get you before you keep going on that one. So the next few pitchers <laughs> that no, this is the next few pitchers. This is a dangerous talking. segment, Bubba. This is no, a this dangerous is, segment. This is fun. It's just that's why it's free flowing. If we don't get through three rounds, we don't get through three rounds, we'll pick it up next week. But it, it's good just debate discussion for what's going on here. So you have Cole Verlander Scherz are your three. And then you would take Clevenger over Bueller, yes or no? Um so uh my my top was Cole Verlander DeGrom Scherzer. Oh, my okay. Yeah. Um, no, then you no take worries. then you take Clevenger over Bueller. Then it depends. I got to break them down. Um, okay. A little fine. bit. I, I have to break them down a little bit more. Um, I would say that they're very close to me, um, okay. but I think I think Bueller's great. I think Bueller is really really good. Um, yeah, I think he's great. Um, I think Clevenger is great. I think what Clevenger is doing this year is um is is really good like when you look at his um you know clevenger's k percentage this year is 35.6 percent k minus walk rate is 27.4 percent obviously bueller struggled earlier this year um you know but when you look at his k minus walk rate 25.1 percent so similar six percent lower on the k percentage but better um, on the walk rate. Um, the swinging strike rate is 3% lower for Bueller. Again, I'd have to look at the CSW there a little bit more. Uh, ERA is higher. Uh, K's per nine, I think, is lower for, um, uh, for, for Bueller. Division-wise, I think everybody in the West is getting slightly better, right? I expect the Padres to be better. I expect the Diamondbacks to be better. I expect the Giants potentially, probably they're a year away. Um, but, you know, and then there's always cores, right, that you have to deal with a couple of times a year. So I think all in all, like I would probably lean um, to Clevenger. Uh, but I I don't think it's going to be a massive gap. I think I'm just like praying that I get one of the top three and that Clevenger is available when the draft comes around to me. Yeah, the reason why I ask is because like Bueller went twelve, but then DeGrom shocked to me, and you would have had him way up there ahead of that, which I, I don't disagree with. But then 29th was Sale, thirtieth was Bieber, thirty-first was Snell, and then thirty-four was Clevenger. So you would have you know, I'm assuming this is your answer, but you'd have Clevenger over Snell, Bieber, and Sale. Um 
Probably. Again, like I think the things okay. that I will be looking for is I think Bieber is really, really good. Um, and so him and Clevenger would be an interesting debate since they're teammates. Um, but I just, I think Clevenger has been absolutely dominant. Um, you know, so has Bieber again, like 31.1% K rate, 26% K minus walk rate. The swinging strike rate is up. So I'd want to see like how that was trending over the last 15 games. Like, is he where, where Clevenger was? So I'm kind of spitballing it, but I think there's there's a case to be made for Clevenger being, you know, among those elite starting pitchers. Sale, I'd want to see the velocity during spring training where he was at there. Snell, I think, you know, we probably saw his best season. We've probably seen his worst season now. I think he's probably somewhere in the middle there. Um, but again, like when I think about the difference between Snell and Clevenger, like a lot of that might be competition wise like the AL East the Blue Jays are getting better the Orioles are getting better the Yankees are dominant offensively the Red Sox are dominant offensively like there's just I think a lot tougher matchups that Snell is going to face on a regular basis like I remember earlier in the year when Snell it was like every start it seemed like he was playing the Yankees and I was getting sick and tired of it as a Blake Snell owner you know and you don't necessarily have the same thing happen to you um you know, with Clevenger, it's just a different, it's just a different game. Oh, he gets the Tigers again. Yay. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like <laughs> yeah. he gets the Tigers after the Royals and, you know, even yeah, he's got a two-step like, in Kansas City and Detroit. <laughs> totally. So, um, yeah, it's like Snell. Yeah. He, uh, he faced the Yankees four times so far already this year, you know? So like, I'm just trying to avoid that type of stuff. And so, um, you know, I think when it comes down to it, what I'm hoping for, right? Like, I'm probably not going to reach and get Clevenger, you know, around pick like 20. Um, but like, you know, if, if I am drafting towards the top of the draft, I could see him being my number one. And then at, when the draft comes back around, nabbing like a Giolito or a Flaherty or something like that. Again, I have to dive into the numbers. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna look forward to the off season. We debate Flaherty versus Clevenger. I think that's gonna be a fun one. But um, let's get into some more of the bats here. So after the big pitchers, you had Trevor Story went between Verlander and Bueller. But then it goes Trey Turner, Arenado, Braun. Then we have a few more pit, uh, hitters. We'll go with here. Then Matt Thompson goes with Soto to match up with Bregman. Stevie O goes JD Martinez with his Arenado. I add Jose Ramirez to Trey Turner, and then Smala, who had Bueller, gets Rafael Devers. What you're seeing here is you got third basemen and shortstops, a couple outfielders, some good speed guys, tons of power as we'd expect. Did any of these guys fall somewhere where you didn't expect them to fall? Because really, you you could move these guys anywhere you want, but did any of them fall farther than you expected? Um, no, not really. Um, I mean, I think I was, like I mentioned, I was disappointed by your picks because I was hoping one of those guys was going to fall to me. Um, I think that, you know, my biggest thing heading into this draft, and it was the biggest thing heading into the last draft too. I mean, this last draft, I was pushing starting pitchers heavily, and I'm going to push starting pitchers heavily again. Like the 2A strategy has worked out okay, pretty well um, uh, for me I so far. I okay with that. So far. Yeah. Um, I think, and I just think hitting is so deep. For me, like the benefit of taking a hitter at this point in the draft is stolen bases and batting average. Like, and so 
you know, Nolan Arenado and Alex Bregman are great. Like, you know, I love Alex Bregman. Like I love Alex Bregman, you know, and when you look at like the valuation, so just using the auction calculator on fan graphs, using, you know, kind of standard TGFBI uh, settings, Nolan Arenado is the ninth most valuable player this year at $27, 27, essentially $28. Bregman is the 11th most valuable player at $27. Um, dollars. Uh, they're very valuable players. They'll, if they're healthy, they'll probably return um, that investment. But what I think is challenging is how do you build your team with enough stolen bases when you grab a guy like that, right? You could do yep. a strategy where you grab Bregman and then, you know, and Arenado uh, initially, and then you, you know, maybe get stolen bases by grabbing hitters in the next two rounds as well, but then you're behind in pitching. So I just think there's a lot of questions around roster construction and how you make that happen um, when you grab an Arenado, a Bregman, a J.D. Martinez. You know, for me, if I'm grabbing a, a hitter that early, I think what differentiates this group from the guys lower down in the draft is the speed and the batting average. And so um, the, those guys have some batting average benefit to them for sure. But the stolen bases is... Stolen bases is so, so hard to get without disrupting the balance of your team. Um, and I think batting average in some ways is, is similarly difficult. Um, but I do think that there's, there's guys who are kind of available later who are maybe uh, can help you out with batting average, whereas stolen bases dries up so quickly where you're not sacrificing home runs or batting average or counting stats, you know? And so I think the value yep, of getting so- a hitter at this point in the draft is, is that. I'll I'll stop now, so I don't just keep repeating myself. <laughs> no, no. I was, um, again, that was the whole reason with my uh, Turner and Ramirez back to back. There is, I assume Jose is going to hit better, like he did in the second half. And stolen base wise, I could be locking in sixty plus stolen bases, seventy plus stolen bases with those okay. two. Turner does what Turner could do. Um, and right there, then I hit about stolen bases, or at least just kind of get guys that are going to give me five to ten and just kind of go from there not having to worry about it too much and they even bring you some power like they're, they're not hurting you in any one category which i love with my early picks so that that's why i went those directions because yes i'm a huge rafael devers fan Fernando tatis jr who you picked up next was on my radar but mm-hmm. i already had trey turner so that defeated that purpose um but yeah that's kind of where i was going there the next bats that went off the board you took tatis at 21 rendon at 22 judge at 23 Alberto Mondesi went to Alex Chamberlain at 24. So Chamberlain goes Garrett Cole and Adalberto. Very gets his ace and his speed, kind of like you did with Fernando Tatis and Justin Verlander. And then you got Starling Marte, Vlad Guerrero Jr., uh, Xander Bogart, Whit Merrifield to round out the hitting before our final two picks of the second round. So again, you got Merrifield for steals. You got Marte, who I'm glad he creeped up all the way to the second round, who usually falls for mm-hmm. days. Yeah. He gets you steals, homers, and everything. So that shows you how sharp this group is. Um, but we'll see come next draft season because he always falls to third, fourth, fifth round because no one cares anymore about Marte. Adalberto Mondesi, that's another one, if healthy, gets steals for days. But then again, like you're talking about with the Arenados of the world, Rendon, Judge, Vladito, even Xander, they're not really helping you in that steals department. So guys were going more towards the average and power area. So it's pretty much the same conversation we just had, but you took Fernando Tatis Jr. at uh, your second pick, the sixth pick of round two. 
to go. What made you like Fernando over Alberto? Was it the power alone or was there something else? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the power, speed, batting average combo. I mean, I don't think Tatis is going to have a 410 Babbitt or whatever he has again. But when you look at what he was doing, I mean, I was blown away when I actually dove into, I think he was on pace for like 30, I, I tweeted about it. It was like 36 home runs and 25 stolen bases, like his 600 plate appearance pace. And obviously uh, extrapolating stats is what it is, but this is a 20-year-old guy who theoretically, I mean, we've seen it with other young players who have come up and had success, like Acuna, right? He took a step forward the next this year. Like, I don't see why Tatis doesn't uh, take a, a, another step forward this year, like improving his K percentage so he doesn't need as much of the BABIP. And, and the BABIP can fall a little bit with that home run and speed combo. And so, you know, yeah, like I didn't get the necessarily maybe the super high batting average guy that I wanted, but I think Tatis will, Tatis Jr., like I think when, we, when it comes to draft time, I think he's going to replace Arenado, Bregman, maybe not Soto, but like J.D. Martinez. I think a lot of those power, those non-speed guys, Tatis will jump over them and be in the first round. Uh, late first, early second round, heading into next year's drafts, just because I think the upside for him is huge. Um, and with Mondesi, like, I love the speed. I love, I absolutely love the speed. I think Alex did a great job picking him here. He would have been on my radar as well, just because there's so few guys now that just can get you all the speed that you really need to to lay a really nice foundation moving forward. Because there's a lot of guys in that kind of like, um, 30 to 80 range who will get you 10 to 20 stolen bases with okay power. And so um, I, I love pairing him with some of those guys. Um, you know, Mondesi, like since coming back, he's been off the hook for stolen bases. Like he has like seven stolen bases since returning to the lineup or something crazy. He really wants that stolen base crown this year. So I think that's fine, but you know, we forget he only has six home runs this year, you know, and like, you know, when you combine that with last year, yeah, I don't expect him to hit six next year. I think he'll probably be like in the 10 to 15 range, maybe like from a projection standpoint. But, you know, that does limit you a little bit with home runs because power is just so high right now. And then the batting average is not going to be, you know, exceptional. It's not going to hurt you, but it's not going to be exceptional. And I think he was kind of outpacing himself a little bit from a plate appearance perspective in both runs and RBI this year. So, you know, I expect a little bit of regression maybe on those counting stats for Mondesi. I think the stolen bases are real. I just like the more balanced approach of Tatis Jr. at that point in time. But I, I had no problem with Mondesi going there. I know Smata said he was considering getting Mondesi at 19 and was a little disappointed later on when all the stolen base guys went um, because, it, you know, I think it poses a dilemma down the road. And I think that's what people are going to find, like, you know, who are drafting the Arenados, the Bregmans, the J.D. Martinez's is, you know, yes, it's super helpful, but you're going to have to strike it rich on stolen bases later by kind of getting somebody who either outpaces what, what you think they're going to get or who contributes a little bit more in the other categories than you would expect. You know? And the later you wait, you start getting rabbits, and rabbits don't help your team. They hurt your team more than anything. Yeah. So that, that really stinks. I'll give you a, a bold 2000, way too early, bold 2020 prediction. Ooh. Jonathan Villar will Roberto Montesquieu. He's going to what? He's going to outperform Adalberto Mondesi. He's going to outperform Adalberto Mondesi. He already did this year. You can't no, do that next one. Year. <laughs> next year. Um, no, next I was, year. I was, huge on, I was huge on VR this year, so I enjoyed every bit about that. Yeah. I think 
I think yeah. he's still he should be getting drafted ahead of Mondesi is what I'm basically saying. Yeah. Um, I think that – I think I have a lot – I think that uh, I have not dove into VR. I think the last time this happened with VR, he also went really high. I don't think he's got a profile that's super consistent. I don't know where he's going to be playing next year. Um, I mean, he's on the Orioles, but is he going to be on the Orioles all the time? And if he's on a contender or a better team, is he going to play as regularly, not being as good defensively? I don't know. I I think I think you know I think VR is has been amazing this year. Like I was one of the people who was like banging the like, oh, VR is not that good, and I was totally wrong about it this year. You know, his ADP did get pretty high, but like. I see a lot of potential problems for VR next year. Um, but so I'm going to disagree with you with your bold prediction is what I'm saying. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I took Trey Turner again at pick 13. You took Fernando Tatis at 21. You can feel free to tell me I'm an idiot. Would you have rather had Fernando Tatis over Trey Turner? Uh, I would, I would have drafted Trey Turner over Fernando Tatis. I think the stolen base upside is just enough. So much where, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's terrific. Um, yeah. And also breaking news, which makes me horribly. Sad. I was wondering. I was wondering if you saw this. <laughs> no Will Smith, guys. No Will Smith. Thanks yep. for the news, Giants. Yeah, but... no Will Smith, and then Nico Herner got a two-run single. He's three for four tonight. Now it's four RBIs. Oh man, so, uh, that's a yeah, nice little debut. Um, yeah, I'll give you my my twenty my twenty twenty first bold prediction uh, for this year, which does not involve anybody we've talked about yet but I've already have it in my mind. And that is that Ozzy Albies is going to hit 30 home runs and steal 20 bases next year. I could see that. I could see I hit, 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 you know, hit at least 290. Throw that on top of it. Yeah. I think, I, uh, man, I, I know he's not on there, but I was a little bummed out that I didn't grab uh, Albies at like, I think uh, Brant grabbed him at 55 after I was going to see if he would get back to me and he didn't, he got picked like the next pick, but. Um, I love I love I love Ozzy Albies for next year. That, right now, his AD, for a conversation now. You know, right now, through six rounds, his ADP sixty three fifty five is our draft. That's the highest he's gone. He's gone yeah. as low as seventy one. So, I absolutely yeah, love it. I I feel like there's an idea out there that Albies hasn't been good this year. Yeah, that's foolish. <laughs> that's, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I know what you're, I know what you're saying. I, I get yeah. the same deal because like when I play DFS every day, no one owns him, and I don't understand why. Like they just yeah. think he's not that good, and he just keeps doing awesome things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, he 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 got picked in like the forty to fifty range this year, so maybe it's just that people are disappointed. I mean, Fangraphs has him as the thirty sixth most most valuable hitter so far this year, and he's been much. You know, he's been. I mean, I, I haven't checked on him super recently, but um, the skills are just better and better and better. So. Um, anyways, yeah. that's unrelated to the top three. Right no, he's fin- he's finishing strong. Once they got him back to the top of the order when Swanson, because Swanson was up there for so long that Albie's down low in the order and it wasn't working. Swanson got hurt. They moved Albie's up top. Albie started crushing it. Once Swanson got healthy, they left Albie's up there, and it's just been pretty smooth sailing since then. It's been pretty pretty good to see. Um, the last picks we'll talk about today, we'll wrap up round two. Chris Welsh gets Chris Sale to match up with his Mike Trout. Raging Randall gets Shane Bieber. We'll give him his next pick and Blake Snell. So he goes, he finishes round two with Bieber, starts round three with Snell to go with his Ronald Acuna. I'm assuming this is where you you would have gone pitching, not maybe you would have gone Clevenger or whoever, but you would have gone pitching mm-hmm. if you took one of the studs up top. Am I right? 
Um, yeah, if I took one of the studs up top, so like what Raging Randall did, um, uh, I don't know if it would have been the exact same pitchers necessarily, but I think, uh, you know, having, I think though, I mean, the, the way that both of them did it, I mean, um, uh, I think you're probably going to be able to get sale a little bit later, although I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, sale was dominant at points in time this year. So I think what both of them did, like, you know, you obviously have to get a pitcher coming back the other way. Um, at least one, um, or you don't have to, I guess, but you probably should. Um, and then I, I would probably do the, do the double, double tap on the pitchers at that point in the draft. I'd have to look a little bit more clearly at what would be available, available to me at, um, pick, what would it be at that point? 60. Um, so I'd have to look a little bit more about like what would be available around then, but I feel like there would be, you know, some Victor Robles love, you know, some, some other guys like that who would be around kind of your five category contributors who I could get going there. So I would feel pretty comfortable, um, going starting pitcher, starting pitcher right there. Like, I mean, having a Shane Bieber, Mike Clevenger, uh, double tap right there. I mean, that is potentially the thing of dreams. Um, so yeah, but I, I I like what both of them uh, did in that particular case. And I think Altuve, like Altuve has been great. Um, since he's been healthy. And so I don't see a reason why he's not going to be a really great, uh, that, you know, contributor next year too. Um, so you, you talked about Randall taking pitcher, pitcher. Like if you go to the ADP to around 60 right now, you have Suarez, Eugenio Suarez, Keston Hira, Tommy Pham, Gallo, Albies, Josh Bell. Those guys are all there. But if he would have gone pitcher, hitter, say at the turn there around 30, he takes a bat like Jordan Alvarez, Altuve, Ketel uh, Marte, something along those lines, even a Johnny Villar to get some steals, then he could potentially have gotten Noah Syndergaard, Charlie Morton, or Zach Granke. I know there's a lot of names just thrown out there. Do you like the idea of going pitcher-hitter there and getting a Syndergaard, Morton, Granke later on, hoping they're still there? Or are you rather going the pitcher-pitcher and going after like a Suarez, a Hira, a Tommy Pham, something along those lines? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm looking at this. I'm double tapping pitchers at that coming back um, in the second and yeah, third round. Because Victor Robles is even going 68, Bo Bichette 68, Austin Meadows 70. So, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You I mean, I, I just think that there's good, there's the hitting is just so deep, you know? And so it depends on who falls, right? I mean, there could be like an a, a incredible hitter that falls. Like, let's see, around 30, who are the hitters that are going around there? I actually think that's a part of the draft where I don't like the hitters as much. Like I love Xander Bogarts. I love, 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 love Xander Bogarts. Uh, he's a different proposition at, you know, um, like 27, I think, uh, than he is at, um, you know, at, at 45 ish where he was going last year. I think the thing with Bogarts is he's not really stealing anymore. Nope. And what, ha- what I, what I fear with guys who don't steal is guys who steal and have good batting average there's like a built-in floor there where if the, even if they get injured, they still maintain some sort of value because like, let's say you have like a, a Fernando Tatis and he gets injured like he did this year and he only plays 400 plate appearances, but he, he hits 20 home runs and steals 15 bases. You replace him with like a league average guy who gets you maybe three stolen bases the rest of the way and 10 home runs the rest of the way. That's still a 30, uh, 18 pick. You know, so you're not losing a lot. Whereas if one of the guys, the batting, like JD Martinez gets injured, you know, you're not getting any stolen bases there. You're getting half of your home runs. You're getting like 20 home runs and you're getting the average, but 
the replacement player is probably not going to help you that much with stolen bases or even potentially yeah. with home runs. So I just think that there's like a built-in floor that happens with those stolen base average guys, which doesn't exist. And again, they have a track record of being healthy, but it's just kind of a built-in insurance policy. So what I would be doing at that turn there, yeah, I would be double tapping pitchers and then just, you know, love and get it. Like Anthony Rizzo at pick 60, like, you know, yeah, he doesn't. Have, so Ozzy Albies, like, yes, he went 55 to Brant Chesser, but I'll make sure I'm not in Brant's league next year. I'll go, I'll go Ozzy Albies right there and Victor Robles. Like if go. I could start out yep. with, oh my God, like I would That'd die so nice. if I started out. Yeah. Oh my God. I started out with Christian Yelich. I got Clevenger and Bieber at the turn. And then I got Victor Robles and Ozzy oh, yeah, Albies right solid. there. How many, how many stolen bases is that? That's 30 plus, you know, let's just give them 15 30. plus 20. That's like 65 stolen bases already. Home runs, least, that's yeah. 45 home runs. That's 20 home runs. That's 20 home runs. Like that to me would be a nut start. That would just be an insane way to start. And you've gotten young guys who have upside too, like Albies and, and Robles. Yeah. Yeah. Like Robles, like there's flaws in his profile, but the dude is like, he's got 17 home runs and he's got 25 this year. Like sign me up any day of the week. Like there's a distinct possibility. He hits 20 home runs and steals 30 bases next year with a decent batting average. Like, for me, that, that, I mean, God, sign me up for picks one through three. Please, please yeah, let me get one of those. It's not bad. We'll debate that when you see the rest of my draft. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a good way to go. There's definitely, I think one of the ends is the way to go because you can double tap your picks basically and really mm-hmm. secure what you want without having to go with what the draft tells you you have to take basically. So yeah. I, liked, I like the ends a lot more. I don't mind going early on a guy to get my guys where – if you're waiting in the middle and sometimes you're waiting you know, and, and watching these runs take place, that can get pretty rough. And yeah. you, have to, you kind of get forced into taking something instead of doing what you want. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. But we'll come back and do some more TGFBI, two early box, all that good stuff next week. Um, let's recap the latest week in FAB per usual. I have two, four, six, eight, actually 11 moves, but none of them really resonate worth anything. Like Justice Sheffield, because he has two starts, but not huge Justice Sheffield guy. Robert Duggar has two starts. That's why he got picked. Um, Ronald Bolanos has pitched pretty well out of the bullpen. Brendan McKay got picked up, uh, hoping they get some action out of him. I picked up Drew Verhagen, off of your great words of wisdom. But um, I got him for a buck. I Other dropped that, him. I dropped him, Baba. It was why? a huge mistake. I don't know, because I'm because I'm a... Foolish. Don't don't say it. Don't say it. you're not. But uh, I was, you made me feel bad. I'm like, wait, why did you drop? I just why I just picked them up. That's yeah, good. yeah. But uh, yeah, that's about it. There's really nothing that stood out. There's just a couple other moves, but nothing, nothing fancy this time of year. Not in my league, at least. But you have a bunch of moves. What what resonated with you? Yeah. Um. So you want me to go over every single Fab move from the Champions League because there's 27 of them, just like I did last time. Or are we gonna not do that this time? <laughs> I um, say go over go over which ones you think are important. Uh, so Gavin Lux was the big, the big, uh, the big prize this year, this week. How obviously, much did he go for? He went for 42 in my league to Brant Chesser. Um, uh, but Brant is also he he had the most Fab left. Um, and so the the runner up bid was was three bucks, but it was just kind of like. I think Grant saw who the second place, how many, how much money the second place guy had and went hard for him. 
Um, so I got Lux in a couple of places. I actually got him in one of my main events where I'm in second place um, right now, 16th overall um, for like three bucks, just because everybody's so low on fab right now. Um, and I had uh, nearly the most fab heading into this week. Um, so, but the, the challenge with Lux is that he's not supposed to start against lefties. And so he's got the Orioles this week, which is great, but there's two lefties going. So he's probably only going to play one game. Then he's got three righties at the weekend, but it, two of them are Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom. Now Lux has not played well so far, but this, the underlying skills are great. Like he's striking out 17% of the time, 13% walk rate. The contact is right around league average. The plate discipline is super elite. Hard hit rates at 50%. I haven't looked at his stat cast metrics, but you know, I think he's going to be fine if he gets playing time. I think down the stretch, hopefully he gets more right-handed batters or else they leave him in against lefties just to kind of give him a little bit more exposure. Uh, so that was obviously a big one. Uh, Alex Young was available. Um, I know that I think I feel like um, you picked up Alex Young maybe in our barf league. Um, I might have. I made a bunch of moves in barf. Yeah, he had that great start against the Reds where he struck out twelve. He's got a decent uh, matchup this week. I think he's got uh, he's got the Mets. He's at the Mets, but then he's got a a double a, a two start week that's pretty nice. I think one of them's against like St. Louis, but then one of them's against San Diego or something like that. I picked up Nick Anderson for $7, um, runner-up bid of one. I was very pleased to do that just because um, there's a little bit of a battle going on for wins, but there's a big battle going on for whip and ERA right now. I think I'm in first place in both of those, but um, uh, Nick Anderson will help, and then I'm hoping maybe he can scrounge like two wins the rest of the season. He actually had eight Ks, I think, last week in his three um, uh, outings that he had. He struck out four in one in a third. I think he's just, he's just on a ridiculous roll right now. And, and the Rays have a terror, have a great schedule. Um, just, you know, moving forward, uh, justice Sheffield for $4, Rich Hill went for $4. Um, Robinson Cano went for three. I dropped drew Verhagen. He has the, he's going to be the post opener against the Orioles this weekend, which is really, really nice, but it's just, uh, I, I had him for the two tap this past week. He's been really good. I mean, he's pitched really well. I probably should have held on to him. I picked up Derek, Rodri- Derek Rodriguez uh, for him for three bucks uh, because I, I thought he was going to pitch against the Marlins. And now there's some questions about whether he's going to be in the rotation still with Cueto joining, whether they're just going to push his start to Saturday. So I actually didn't even end up starting him, which um, kind of sucks. Uh, Vogelbach was available for three bucks. He's been terrible, but he's got six righties this week. Um, I dropped Lurie Garcia, who has not been playing for the White Sox so far. Um, there's a bunch of other ones. Mauricio Dubon went for one. Brendan McKay went for three. The Kenyatta Storin, who's in first place uh, there. Um, you know, a lot of just strategic moves, you know, like Dylan Moore pickup for the stolen bases there. Uh, but 27 moves all in all. Um, you know, those were kind of the higher profile ones, but um, it's just a, an, it's an absolute battle right now in the, in the champions league, um, for an update, uh, where are we at right now? Um, so Kenyatta's in first with 114. I'm in second with 113. Uh, then James Anderson at 107, Eddie Almaguer at 106.5, Clay Link at 105. All of those, all five of those guys are top 30 in the overall right now. So um, it's going to be a slugfest till the very end. Anybody in that group uh, could win if, if somebody gets hot here down the stretch. 
Um, so we'll see what, uh, we'll see what ends up happening, but, um, I hope it works out for me. <laughs> yeah, no, you're going to keep grinding on and get it. It's, uh, it's crazy how competitive that league is. It's good to see, uh, league two, which I'm involved in. Kenneth Lee's been running away with the league all year, but things have gotten interesting. He's got 118 points now and Brock Ness monsters got to 116 and a half Ooh. right on him. And Tight. I'm up to – I was at 113 the other day. I'm at 109 right now. Nice. In third place. So it's you're fun. At like, you're at 40th overall or something like that, right? Yeah, 41st right. right now. I've been nice. grinding my booty off. But I'm out of fab dollars now. So we'll see how the last three yeah. weeks go. Um, we now have five guys within top 52, which for a while that was not the case. So I know it's not top 30 like the champions, but I'll take it for this league. as Yeah. Uh, it's like I get people giving up, but man, it was kind of it's a bummer watching some of these guys, some pretty big names just kind of throwing the towel. Uh, yeah. Kind of, kind of disappointing. But I won't uh, point too many fingers. But you can tell who they are if you want to go look online. League two, <laughs> pretty simple. Um, but yeah, it's it'll be fun to see how it keeps going. I just hope I can. I want a top three. That's what I want. I, I battled back. I was so close to second, and I'm just kind of nervous now looking at my roster. Can it hang on for three weeks? We'll have to. Losing Kepler kind of sucks. It's really going to suck, but uh, we'll see. It's baseball. But all right, any final thoughts as we head into one of the final weeks of the season? Uh, got the I just made a two early mock pick while you were uh, talking about Fab. Did you? A, yeah, I'm a 13th round pick, 13.13, uh, the hundred and like eighty something pick in the draft or whatever it was. I took J.D. Davis of the New York Ooh, Mets. Ooh, nice pick. So, like pretty pumped on that. Before we recorded today, I just went through, like, page after page. I have, like, 88 players queued up right now. So, <laughs> because nice. the fan tracks rankings have a lot of really good players hidden really deep. So, yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, final I like final it, thoughts? Uh, yeah, I know. It's just been fun to do the two early mocks. Uh, thanks to Justin for pulling those together again. It's been super interesting to be like, should I go this guy or this guy? I wonder how far this guy will fall. And then you make the pick and then, you know, the sharp folks in our league are just scooping folks up. Like I was thinking about uh, Julio Arias. Um, I think he's, he's a, he just went right before me. Smata just got him. JD Davis was a guy, um, you know, as well who went Daniel Murphy again, you know, has had a, you know, a season that hasn't been the best season in the world for him, but has still been, pretty good since that really slow start. So there's just all kinds of hitting value, I feel like this year. And so it really makes me again, want to push the two ace strategy heading into this year, because there's just so many good bats, like even some of those power bats, like, I mean, Fran Mil Reyes, I probably picked him even too early, but I got him what pick, uh, pick 141, you know, a guy who has 36 home runs and four, 450 plate appearances or whatever it is, who's, now going to be a full-time DH, like, you know, sign me up for that. So I really think home runs and that type of power profile is available later on in the draft. And so, you know, hammer home those aces, those strong pitchers, get those stolen bases, get that average, because I think the other stuff is available. Yeah, I totally agree. There's a lot of it out there. It'll be real, real fun to see how it all plays out towards the end. But until next time, you can find Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy and all his great work over there at batflipcrazy.com and on iTunes and all your listening platforms at batflipcrazy. I'm on Twitter at BDNTrick and you can find Bench with Bubba at all of your listening pleasures as well. But until next time, this was Bubba and Batflip episode 8, edition 8, whichever you prefer to call it. We'll catch you guys next time.
Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.